0: I'm here at the BlockWorks Digital Asset Summit here in New York with Brent Johnson. Brent and I were just on a panel with Adam Back and Teddy Valley talking about the future of Bitcoin and the dollar. It is a digital asset summit, so the panel was mostly focused on Bitcoin, but Brent has been absolutely nailing it on the dollar, showing extreme strength against the euro, the yen, pretty much every currency under the sun. So I wanted to get some time, just me and Brent, to talk pure macro. Here is the conversation I had with Brent Johnson. Brent, great to talk to you. Happy to be here. Uh, so, for we just got off the panel uh, talking all about Bitcoin and Bitcoin versus the dollar, who's going to win? In this conversation, I got you, uh, you know, off stage. I just want to ask you uh, purely the, on the fiat side, on the macro side. Uh, so, Brent, the dollar, which uh, you've been very bullish on for, for sort of structural reasons, has been on a tear this year. Uh, could you elaborate on why you think the dollar has been so strong? Uh, particularly against like the euro and
1: the yen? Yeah, I mean, essentially it comes down to supply and demand. Um, I know a lot of people have been expecting the dollar to fall based on all the new supply that's been issued by the Fed over the last few years. But what, what needs to be remembered is that fiat currencies trade relative to each other. And despite the massive increase in supply uh, by the Fed, they're printing, quote unquote, for the whole world because the whole world uses the dollar. Whereas when the ECB prints, they're mainly printing for Europe. When Japan prints, they're mainly printing for Japan. And when you look at the amount that the Fed has issued compared to the global monetary base, and you measure that against what Japan has printed versus the Japanese monetary base and the, Europe and the European Central Bank monetary base, um, the Fed is behind, behind those two. And those two currencies are continuing to do it. Um, you know, the Fed has been aggressively raising rates. Um, the ECB has now started to raise rates, but they're behind the Fed. Japan has not raised rates. And so you've seen a massive move um, in these two currencies. Um, for major currencies to move, the amount that the euro has moved this year is a big deal. To move the amount that the yen has moved this year, is it's literally unheard of. Yeah, A 20% move in the second or third biggest currency in the world is without literal intervention making it happen. Um, it's really unheard of. And so I actually think it is by design. And yeah. I think the Fed agreed to it. I think the Bank of Japan said, we're doing it and got the Fed's blessing. And so I think otherwise there would have been some comments out of official, official circles. Um, and they would have been labeled a currency manipulator or, so, yeah. or something of that effect. Um, and to be honest, I don't think this is going to change. Um, Japan can't really change, they don't have the option to change. And, And I would bring it back to the arguments that a lot of people make on the dollar. I think that in many ways, people make accurate analysis on the dollar. The problem is, is they don't do the same accurate analysis on all these other currencies, Mm -hmm. right? And all the issues um, that people put forth for the eventual demise of the dollar, which I agree will eventually happen, are already happening today in both Europe and Japan. And you're seeing it uh, in the the price of the the euro and the yen. And so
0: there's... Money printing, uh, quantitative easing, which is you know, the central bank prints money and then buys assets from normally commercial banks, and so the, the Fed did a lot of quantitative easing in 2020, 2021, and now it's quantitative tightening, so that the money supply uh, reserves is actually going down. So that's the sort of quantity of money, or the composition of money. There's also the price level of money, as you said. Uh, ECB and the Bank of Japan have been very slow to raise interest rates, particularly the Bank of Japan, extremely slow. Uh, while the Federal Reserve is sort of ahead of the curve, but, you know, it was really, it was behind, but it was less behind than Europe and Japan. Um, I think that is, that's, that's the reason, you know, when people say, why do currencies move? There's so many different factors. For sure. right? the reason, one of the reasons that they move, and it's the reason that I can e- most easily wrap my head around, is interest rate differentials. Where, you know, the Federal Reserve is, is yielding uh, 4% and the European Central Bank is yielding 1% money is going to flow into the dollar. So how big of a factor do you think that interest rate differential has been?
1: Oh, it's been huge. No question about it. Again, there's an automatic bid for the dollar just because of all the global debt that's issued in dollars, the trade that takes place in dollars. So there's a natural bid for the dollar. But when interest rates, differentials favor the U.S., it just adds an additional layer of uh, of, um, demand. Mm -hmm. And so no question that that has played a role. You saw um, the dollar made a big move in the first six months. Um, in July, the ECB finally raised rates for the first time in 10 years, and the dollar pulled back a little bit, and then it got stronger again, and then they raised, ECB raised rates again last week, um, mm-hmm. and so the dollar pulled back a little bit. But now, you know, today, the, <laughs> the dollar's up again. So um, you can see those interest rate differentials playing a role. Um, and I think this would be a natural time for the dollar to pull back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's had a heck of a run. You know, if it went for, if it got up to 110, if it went back to 105, 104, 103, that, that wouldn't shock me at all. Um, what I kind of find humorous is every day that it does tick down, people are like, see, that was it. See, that was it. See, that was it. But, you know, until something fundamentally changes with the design of the monetary system, this underlying bid for the dollar is always going to exist. So if the Fed came back, if they started lowering rates, went back to QE, went to easy monetary policy while Japan or ECB or whoever it is starts to do relatively tighter monetary Mm -hmm. policy, the dollar could go back to 90 to 95. But I think if that happens a year or two years from now, we're right back to where we are now. Just the same way that after COVID, you know, before COVID or during at the initial stages of COVID, the dollar went to 101. They came out. The Fed did QE, easy monetary policy. It went to 90. And everybody said that was it. Well, here we are. 20% 20% higher. It wasn't it, right? Because nothing fundamentally changed with the design of the system. And I guess that that's really the, the basis of my whole argument is until they change the design of the system, this, uh, this underlying bid for the dollar is going to exist, despite all the arguments to the contrary.
0: Mm. How high do you think short-term interest rates will have to go before central banks, let's say the Federal Reserve in this case, will be satisfied that uh, it will be enough to tame inflation? You know, At first, the number was 1.5, then it was 2, then 2.5, then 3.0. Now, it's 4.3% is what's priced into, I think, April uh, Fed Funds futures for 2023. So, I mean, when does this madness end?
1: Well, I'm going to give you an answer. The the only thing I don't like about the answer is everybody tends to agree with this answer. And so I always hate having the same answer as everybody else because it scares me because everybody's usually wrong then. But, you know, I think that they raise until something breaks. Um, Part of the reason I think... uh, You know, to a certain extent, the Fed is embarrassed. Um, They got it wrong. Um, They thought that uh, inflation was lower than it was. And they really cannot afford to be wrong again, right? So if they were to stop hiking now, or God forbid, even cut rates, Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, you know, whether you believe it can happen or not, for whatever reason, inflation ticks higher, then they would really be crucified. So they really can't afford to stop now, especially after they've, you know, said over and over and over again, inflation is our number one goal. So my guess is they'll keep hiking until they crush demand. That will have an effect on um, inflation. I don't know if it'll work to the same extent that they think it will work because um, I think some of the inflation, actually I think a lot of the inflation is supply-driven as opposed to just demand-driven. But that's what I expect to happen. I expect them to keep hiking. Um, You know, they even came out and said, you know, After after the 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 July raise and you know it was perceived as somewhat dovish and equity and risk assets rallied, and then they came out and they said you know, you know, we don't necessarily think the market's reacting the way it should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And Kashkari and a couple of others came out and said um, that we're going to have to uh, you know demand's going to have to fall and we have the tools to do it. So I think it would be very hard to think that they are now just going to pivot out of the blue. They will pivot eventually, but they'll pivot when asset prices are a lot lower and they have to pivot. Um, I always say the Fed is a reactionary agency. They're not a proactive agency. Mm -hmm. They're always behind the curve, in my opinion. And, you know, when markets crash and they have to come in and save it, then they'll pivot.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, Brent, that is short-term interest rates, which are largely controlled by the Federal Reserve. What about longer-term interest rates, like the 10-year Treasury note, the 30-year Treasury note? I know a lot of the reason why the dollar has been strong, uh, despite the fact that the dollar persists, excuse me, that the US uh, persistently runs a trade deficit, is that, let's say, you know, China exports uh, a lot and has a lot of dollars and then they buy treasuries with that. Uh, how important is that recycling system? And uh, do you think that there's a risk that folks will stop buying treasuries?
1: So I, won't, I would never say it's not important, yeah. and, and I agree that China and to a certain extent Japan have stopped buying the long-term ones and they've, they've started selling them in some cases. Um, Russia has very famously sold all their treasuries. Um, it's not that it's not important, but again, it comes back to the relative uh, issue. Um, it's possible that there's a buyer strike on US treasuries, but I do not think that there were, we are going to get into a situation where the US government cannot fund itself But the the British government can fund themselves or that the ECB or Germany can fund themselves and France can fund themselves. So if we get into a situation where the treasuries are not being bought and interest rates are going higher, I think we have a sovereign debt crisis. And that's actually where I think we're headed. Uh, But I think once that sovereign debt crisis kicks off, I think institutions, uh, entities around the world will buy treasuries before they will buy Japanese government bonds, or Chinese government bonds, or British government bonds. So I'm not saying that it's not possible, um, but it's not a huge concern of mine because I think in that scenario, well, the, the reality is we're hedged for that scenario. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're kind of expecting this scenario to happen. Um, it wouldn't surprise me in that scenario if, if people rush to treasuries, treasury yields could, uh, could fall. And prices could rise. I really don't know. I'm not playing the treasury, the long treasury market, yeah. as a trade itself, but I am. I am playing the, the sovereign debt crisis as a trade because I, th- I think that is definitely on tap.
0: Okay. Uh, you know, without sort of going too deep into positions that, that you have at, at Santiago Capital, uh, are you looking at like credit default swaps on the sovereigns? Are you sort of shorting them? Uh, yeah. Well,
1: we're, we're mainly doing it through currencies, okay, uh, and then we're because we think that will be the outlet. Um, we're not necessarily shorting the bonds. The bonds are a little tricky. Uh, I'm not saying it can't be done, but, but so far we haven't done the bonds just because we're not there yet. And the central bank in, in Europe, the central bank continues to buy them. Yeah, right. uh, in Japan, they continue to buy them. Um, maybe when, the, when, when it kicks off and we see an opportunity, perhaps we'll do it that way. But we think the outlet's going to be the currency. So that's, that's the main way. But then we're also playing kind of the second and third knock-on effects of these currencies going down. Um, we think there's a number of economies around the world that will be in a lot of trouble when that happens. Uh, specifically, Australia, specifically Canada, China, Turkey. Um, these are just a few. There's a lot of every. And and when I say this, the U.S. could be in trouble as well, but just we just th- just less trouble. And so we think that on a relative basis, global capital will flow to the U.S. and the U.S. dollar versus the rest of the world. And I know people have heard me say this before, and they'll say, you know, you've been saying this forever. Well, the truth is, it's been true forever. If you look yeah. at the U.S. stock market versus the rest of the world over the last three years, the U.S. has outperformed. If you look at the U.S. dollar versus other currencies over the last three years, the dollar's outperformed. Um, dollar assets in U.S. markets have outperformed the rest of the world for three or four years now. Um, global capital has flowed to the United States for the last three or four years. Now. I think that that will continue. When you say
0: you see trouble ahead for uh, the sovereign markets, Canada, Australia, Turkey, China, uh how much of that is due to a theory you call the dollar milkshake? And to what degree is that different than, oh, the ECB is is hiking less than the Fed?
1: Yeah, well, it's all really related. And I think that's the important thing to understand, especially with macro. Like uh, if you're analyzing Tesla versus Coca-Cola, maybe they're not interconnected. Yeah. But when you're analyzing Japan and Europe and the United States and China, they're all interconnected, because they are, they're, they're all kind of relative to each other. Um, the dollar milkshake theory is basically my thesis that the dollar will go higher because we will enter the sovereign debt crisis. And as a result, you know they'll have all these knock-on effects around the world. Other currencies will get printed to a greater degree than the US dollar, which creates a knock-on effect where the dollar goes higher and these other currencies go lower. Um, as that happens, we think that China becomes in a lot of trouble. We think uh, they will probably have to weaken the Yuan. We think the Hong Kong dollar peg will break. When that happens, we think, Chinese growth will fall significantly. China buys a lot of commodities from both Australia and Canada. Um, if, Can- if Canadian revenue starts to go down because China is no longer buying all these commodities, that hurts Canada and Australia. If interest rates start to rise because we have this sovereign debt crisis or because central banks have to raise rates to fight inflation, that hurts the real estate markets in Canada and Australia. And so, you know, this is this is what, and, and as the dollar goes higher, it puts pressure on everybody. Mm-hmm. And so this is what I mean. It's, it's all kind of related. There's a number of different ways to play this, uh, but it is all related. And so uh, you know the dollar milkshake theory is really more than anything. It's not just the dollar going higher. It's really a framework for how I see a sovereign debt crisis playing out. And I, I, it's not that I think that the United States is immune to that crisis. I think we will get hit, but I just think we will get hit last. We will be the last domino to fall, so to speak. Mm-hmm.
0: For a sovereign debt crisis, Uh, is it essentially impossible for there to be a sovereign debt crisis if the sovereign owes money only in its own currency? I'll give an example. The U.S. owes a lot of money, but it's in dollars. The U.S. can print dollars. Thailand in 1997 owed a lot of money that was denominated in dollars. It could print Thai baht, but it could not print dollars. So it had to print more and more Thai baht, and then there's a huge devaluation. So is it possible for uh, a monetary sovereign that owes its own currency to have a, a sovereign debt crisis?
1: I wouldn't say it's impossible, but I don't think it can be the first one to go. And that's why I say there will be a progression. I think it starts in the periphery and it works its way towards the core. So I think it, we could get into a situation where all sovereigns are printing like crazy and other currencies, periphery countries, starts to go through hyperinflation or very high levels. I hate using the term hyperinflation because yeah. I think it's way overused, but you could see very high levels of inflation 20, on, 30, on, yeah, yeah. on the periphery. And, and and you could. this is the really important point that I, I'm glad we're talking about this because you can have inflation with a rising dollar. I mean, if this year hasn't hasn't proven that, I'm not sure what I can do to to prove it to you. So this idea that the dollar has to fall because we're gonna have inflation is just not correct. So we we could have a continuation of what we're already seeing this year, where the dollar continues to go higher, we continue to have inflation, and the rest of the world sees inflation in their local currency terms, but deflation in US dollar terms. And see, this, this is the worst of all worlds. This is essentially what... The milkshake is is when you get inflation in local currency terms and deflation in U.S. dollar terms, and they're getting squeezed from both ends. You know, other countries their revenues falling um, because global growth is slowing, but their input costs are going up because the dollar is going up, and it, it really just puts them in a really really bad spot. Right. The other thing I would say is it's possible we go into deflation too. You know, I, I I've often get, gotten labeled a deflationist because typically when the dollar goes higher, that does create deflation. Um, I really don't care whether we have inflation or deflation. Uh, I I don't really care how I'm labeled. What what I do think is we're going to have a a crisis. I I don't think there's any way out of the crisis. I think that the dice has already been thrown, right? It's just a matter of how they land and at what time they stop. Um, But whether it's an inflation or a deflation, um, or whether I get labeled with an inflation or a deflation um, brush, it doesn't really matter. The the point is, is that fiat currencies are losing value. But the difference is that When when the Australian dollar goes up versus the South African rand, it's not necessarily that big of a deal. But when the U.S. dollar goes up versus the Australian dollar, when the U.S. dollar goes up versus the yen or the yuan, that's a big deal because everything's priced in dollars. So if the denominator is rising, prices tend to fall. Now, they don't have to fall, but they tend to fall. And so you can get into a deep, even though we're in an inflationary environment, we can have bouts or, or short term deflationary shocks to the system. And so, I, again, I, I'm kind of prepared for either inflation or deflation. I think we're probably going to have a little bit of both. Um, but ultimately, I think we, th- this ends up in a currency crisis.
0: Yeah, so the Australian Australian mining company spends Australian dollars to produce copper. That copper is sold in dollars. Right. So the dollar getting stronger against uh, the Australian dollar would be quite...
1: That actually, that, wouldn't that be good? That, that, that would actually help the, them, but if but the, the problem becomes if, the, if they're no longer able to sell the copper because China no longer buys it because yeah. China's in a recession. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right, right,
0: okay. Right, right. So, so uh, vanilla, a typical sort of uh, sovereign crisis, uh, what's it, uh, Thailand, 1997, Argentina, where there's a bunch of debt that's not denominated in a uh, your own currency, and you have a huge deficit, all types of deficits, that's pretty easy for me to wrap up my head around about why that's a recipe for, for disaster. But explain to me why you think the Chinese yuan will uh, encounter trouble. Interestingly, Chinese yuan, I believe, not in the U.S. dollar index DXY, uh, which is what you're referring to when you said it went to 110 and 88. Um, uh, because you know there are a lot of folks who say the yen is excuse me the yuan Chinese yuan. Uh, also called the uh, RMB, RMB is very undervalued because it has such a huge trade surplus and it has these you know ample you know trillions of dollars of FX reserves. So, what's your outlook on there? And then I also have seen some uh, folks talk about how the Chinese uh, FX reserves are actually shrinking.
1: Yeah, so I do not believe that the yuan is undervalued. I think it's dramatically overvalued. I think if it was allowed to fro- float freely, it, it would it would decrease in value uh, a great deal. Um, I think to a certain extent. Um, the, the, the yuan is a managed currency. It's not totally pegged anymore, but it is still managed. There's a currency board that makes sure it stays within a band. Um, you know, They have a, a lot of deflationary pressure in their economy because of the, the, the real estate market has started to crash. Um, they also have high inflationary pressures because they import energy and food, right? And those are imported in dollars. Now that the U.S. is raising rates, the dollar is getting stronger versus the yuan. So they're getting squeezed from both sides. Revenue's down, you know, costs are up. Uh, profit margin is getting squeezed. Um, I, I, in that scenario, I, I don't see how the yuan is, is undervalued. Um, I think to counteract the deflationary pressures that they're feeling in the real estate market, I think they will eventually have to write off those bad debts and let the currency float and let that be the release valve. When that happens... The reason they would devalue their currency is to pull inflationary pressures into China to counteract the deflationary pressure of the real estate market. So if they're pulling inflation in, they're sending deflationary, deflation out. So they would be trying to export their deflation of their real estate market to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. If that happens, then the dollar gaps up, and then that puts pressure on the rest of the world. So this is what I'm saying. We could, we're in an inflationary environment, but there's a number of factors out there that could lead us to have a very deflationary spike You know, maybe it only lasts a week, maybe it lasts a couple months. But I I don't believe that just because we're in a highly inflationary environment, you can totally write off the the, the possibility of a deflationary spike.
0: Yeah. And certainly um, the U.S. is extremely well supplied as a huge supplier of uh, food and energy, uh, unlike Europe, unlike China, unlike Japan. Yeah. Yeah. so, so uh, you, we talk about the dollar system that's really existed since 1945, since Bretton Woods, but it's, it's changed. You know, 1971, the dollar went off the gold standard. Uh, the euro-dollar system, off, offshore dollar system, became a lot bigger. Volcker raised interest rates to an extreme level to you know, tame inflation, and then we'll see, we still call it the dollar. But then after 2008, 2009, you know, the, the really the plumbing of the system changed. The, the Federal Reserve, uh, you know, the, the liabilities that they have in circulation is just huge. Um, uh, sort of what, what banks call, you know, money now, it used to be like pretty much exclusively treasuries and the reserves were kind of these chips that they exchanged back and forth when, you know, uh, they wanted to do, do business. But now it's, you know, they have uh, over, I think over 2 trillion um, uh, reserves in the system. So the dollar, even though, my point is, even though we call it the dollar system since 1945, it's gone through so many different changes. What do you think is the next way that the dollar system will evolve? I mean, you know a lot of people talk about stable coins. I don't know if you're going there, but uh, yeah. what's the, How do you see it playing out?
1: Well, ultimately what I think is going to happen is that, this currency crisis that I've spoken about will cause some kind of an event where the system gets reset. Now, whether they write off sovereign debt in that environment or whether they come up with a new currency system like a new Bretton Woods, I really don't know. I think something's going to be forced on on the governments of the world. What what I think will come next is some sort of uh, government-sponsored stablecoin. Um, whether it's FedCoin or what do they call it, the Coin Now or something, I've, I know, I know they, yeah. they announced it a month ago. Mm-hmm, yeah. I don't remember the exact name, but I think uh, you know the, the genie's kind of out of the bottle uh, with the with the uh, you know stable coins and with the Bitcoin and the rise of crypto. Um, I think that the governments of the world are going to adopt what was created in the private market, and use, I, I don't think we're going to go to a Bitcoin standard. I don't think Bitcoin's going to become money. Um, I think governments are going to kind of co-opt uh, that digital asset space for their own. Um, It doesn't mean that digital assets won't still exist and be a store of value or trade as a reserve asset in in, in some form or another. Um, But I I do think that we're going, uh, I I expect us to continue to have a fiat system. Um, It would be the first time kind of in the history of the world, not totally, but to a certain extent that, that no government was overseeing the money, right? And it was just a total free market for money. I think that's very highly unlikely. Um, I know kind of within the crypto world and within the the digital asset space, DeFi is kind of an important thing. I actually think that the world, this is not what I want, but it's what I see. I think we're going towards a more centralized world rather than a decentralized world. I think power is being consolidated rather than given away. Um, And I think when we get into this uh, sovereign debt crisis, you're going to see even more power consolidated. And when that happens, I do not expect whoever wins that battle, I don't expect them to cede power over the currency to somebody else or certainly not a private market currency.
0: Right. And so, so now I have an account at Bank of America. Bank of America has an account with the Fed. The move to a central bank digital cur- uh, currency would allow me to have uh, an account with the Fed. Do you think that the commercial banks sort of get cut off on the action? And, and what do you think? You know, the commercial banking system is, is extremely important when people talk about printing money. So... Do you see, you know, how JP Morgan, how do these big banks thrive in an environment yeah. where, you know, every day people can just interact with the Federal Reserve?
1: Well, so this is an area that I've thought a lot about and I, I kind of find it really interesting. I haven't come to any conclusions yet, but I think there's a potential battle between the Treasury and the Fed, which sounds impossible because they work so closely together. But if you think about it, the Fed kind of represents the banks.
0: All right. All right. So we had a fantastic, fantastic interview with Brent. We just were starting to talk about uh, central bank digital currencies and stuff, but there's a fire alarm, so we're going to have to uh, end it there. Brent, thank you so much. Good to talk to yeah, you. Good to talk to you. Uh, as you notice, an uh, alarm went off in the middle of our conversation, so unfortunately, uh, Brent and I, uh, w- our chat had to be cut short. Sometimes that's just how life is, but I hope you enjoyed well, what you got to listen. Thank you for watching.